So here's the thing about that opening. Final Four tonight in Houston, right? Saturday for those listening live, April 1st. Happy April, everybody, by the way. The most important thing we need to take about the Final Four tonight on the men's side is that the best player in the country will not be playing tonight. The best player in America is Caitlin Clark of Iowa. And if you saw last night's Final Four on the women's side, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, she didn't feature in that opening package. 41 points last night against a South Carolina team that was dominant all year. Probably have the best coach in America in Dawn Staley. But Caitlin Clark on either side, the undeniable best player in America. As now Iowa set to take on LSU tomorrow afternoon in the Women's National Championship. And here's what I love what the, what the NCAA as far as television scheduling on the women's side does. The game's in the afternoon, 3.30 Eastern start time on April 2nd. The men's national championship, which will be the next day, 9 o'clock Eastern time at night. So, sorry kids, F you. You got to go to school the next day, too bad. I remember as a kid, I used to be so annoyed. I'll give you a perfect example. 2003, the Aaron Boone walk-off home run 13th inning against the Red Sox to send the Yankees to the World Series, which they would ultimately wind up losing to the Marlins. I'm passed out on the couch. My parents are asleep in their bedroom. I'm fighting every ounce of energy. I have to stay awake for this game because it was an 8 o'clock start as a 16-year-old. I My eyes open as the ball is going over the fence delirious. So hopefully at some point, scheduling gods take into the fact that most of the people that are going to watch these games are kids who have to go to school the next day. A 9 o'clock start time for Monday's men's final is absurd. Women are doing it right, and it's going to be a hell of a game Sunday between LSU and Iowa on the women's side. I'm going to be all over that one. So, with that in mind, welcome to another edition, Saturday, April 1st edition, 2023 of Sports Today with Peter J. Our usual slot. Just an early heads up, no show next week. I'll be on a super late honeymoon in Aruba with my wife. We come back Sunday. So, no show next week. So, get your licks in now. 
Phone lines are open. We're going to be talking Final Four, MLB season underway. Everybody in the country is pumped about this Anthony Volpe kid, no matter who you root for. Plenty to go over. NBA and NHL playoff pictures updated. Man, did some teams take a hit this last week on both sides. And then a little Masters preview. The Masters starts at Augusta, Georgia next Thursday. Give the update about this Valero Texas Open. Which is, in my opinion, one of the most important tournaments on the PGA Tour schedule. Perhaps even more so this year. And that's sort of where I want to start. We'll flip the script a little bit today and start with the golf. All right? You could be the smallest golf fan in the world. You're paying attention to what happens at Augusta. But here's why what's happening in Texas this week, out in San Antonio at the at San Antonio at the Valero Texas Open, is so important. This is a tune-up, sure, for Augusta. And you get some of the veterans that are playing well. Uh, Matt Kuchar and Padraig Harrington got off to great starts on Thursday. Not dealing from what I've seen and following the, the greatest weather out there. But guys like Patrick Rogers, Corey Connors, Brendan Todd, Harry Higgs, who I love. It's at a mile. Chris Kirk. Peter Malnati. There's a name you haven't heard in a while. All these guys gearing up to get ready for a shot at a major. And if anybody's, if anybody listening, because we're blessed to have listeners from all over the country, if anybody's ever played out there at this course, TPC San Antonio, they've got two tracks. Both of them are difficult. The undulations out there are insane. You lose a ball left, you lose a ball right, you're losing it into God's country. You ain't finding that thing. So to go out to the Valero and play well this week, especially for the guys who need it, the Michael Kims of the world, the Bo Hostlers of the world, the Andrew Putnams of the world. This is a really, really good test to get ready for Augusta, where who's going to be the odds-on favorite? Right now, I think it's John Rahm, followed by Scotty Scheffler. Jordan Spieth is going to be one to watch. Rory, right? That's the one. This is the event for Rory McIlroy. This is the one he wants the most. And if you're watching the tour the last couple of weeks, Rory's figured out his new driver. Folks, he's got the specs down. Because maybe all time, there hasn't been anyone who's more enjoyable to consistently watch hit a driver off the tee than Rory McIlroy. And now that he's got that right, with the way Scotty Scheffler's playing, with the, with the type of season Spieth has had. And here's why Jordan Spieth stands out to me. Not just because he's one of the most powerful names in the sport, in the game. Jordan Spieth has had some problems this season shutting the door. As, I mean, you could say the same for Rory, I suppose. But I don't know that there has been an anticipation for a Masters tournament quite like this one. For all the reasons that I mentioned, Rory with the new driver figuring it out, Spieth back on the prowl, Scheffler and Rom playing out of their mind, good golf. Max Homa is playing incredible. Matter of fact, you jump on a place like DraftKings, I'm surprised Max Homa's odds to win are so low. 
maybe you throw one there. Maybe you throw one of those top five bets because Max Home has been playing well. But there's another reason, and it's fairly obvious, why there is so much intrigue and investment in this season's Masters. And it comes via what has now become the rival tour. Live golfers can play in the majors. Dustin Johnson's got pretty decent odds as an outright winner come next week at Augusta. Personally, have I been over, uh, overly impressed with the rollout plan for Liv? No. Has it been impressive how many of the big names, DJ, Phil, Bryson, have played? No. Paul Casey? No. Guys are making a lot of money, so it's working out for them. Everybody in the game dealing with absurd new you know, golf ball rollback plan. So that, that impacts everybody. But the intrigue around the upcoming Masters, because of the animosity many on the PGA Tour and many on the Live Tour have for one another, is television gold in itself. Especially when the pairings come out. Now keep in mind, and I don't think this is anything that can be dismissed, now, this is just my opinion. They're pro athletes. They've been doing this forever. But the Live guys play 54 holes. The PGA Tour, you know, it's 72. That's where all that OWGR, the World Golf Ranking conversations come in. How are you going to uh, even this out? Because I, I, I believe it's a Mexican tour that plays 54 holes and they get official World Golf Rankings. I think it's in Mexico. So Liv's got an argument there. I think it's absurd. It's a 72-hold sport. That's how it was built. It was built around the, the aspect of a four-round tournament. That's how we know it. The arrival of Liv making the PGA Tour change some of the way they operate, I have no problem with that. That's good. Rory McIlroy has been the most outspoken critic of Liv Golf, and I don't really disagree with anything he said. But even he's admitted, yes, it has forced the PGA Tour to change some of the way they operate. That's great. Some of the other things, the intricacies of it, I get it. People are going to have their opinions. But for so many on the Live Tour and the PGA Tour, Sergio Garcia, another one, to now have this animosity toward one another going to the first and perhaps biggest major of the season and playing together, it's going to happen at some point. Man, is 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 just... Sports television paradise. I mean, <laughs> some of it's been petty. We get it. These are millionaires fighting millionaires, right? The best at the world in what they do. The live golfers, probably some of them on a path to become billionaires <laughs> down the road. It's not out of the question. It's not out of the question at all. I cannot wait to see the lead in following the huge tournament at the Valero to what becomes a really a never-seen-before unique Masters tournament. To go and look at the Scotty Schefflers of the world. Because right now, outside of Scheffler and Rom, it's hard to really 
pick anyone else who you could say could go out there and absolutely just dominate. Those are the two. Now, could DJ come back and go nuts, go old school? Sure, if he's hitting the fairway. And the nice thing about playing at Augusta, use Tiger Woods in 2019. You don't necessarily have to hit the fairway at Augusta. I mean, Tiger shut the door on, uh, on, on that final round Sunday with a 70. It's not exactly overwhelmingly dominant golf to win a major. And I only made some changes to the course over the years. They've got this new plan now for the, for, for the golf ball. Uh, because it, there seem to be some of these, you know, just party killers that think people hit the, the golf ball too far. It's absurd. Uh, with that, we bring in our buddy, uh, Joe Jet. Joe, what's up, pal? Haven't heard from you in a couple weeks. Everything all right? Yeah, how you doing, Pete? A long time no speak. What's going on? Now, listen, I, with all, everything that's going on with the, with the, with the MLB season, we're going to get into the Final Four and all, and all that jazz. Hockey playoffs, baseball playoffs, uh, basketball playoffs starting soon. I look, we all look forward to, golf fans look forward to the Masters every year. I don't know if I've ever been as intrigued as I am this time around. It is definitely going to be most interesting because now you're having for the first time two leagues basically, you know, going at it. That's what this is, you know, the live guys are going to root for the live guys and the PGA guys are going to be rooting for their guys when it all comes down on the back nine on Sunday. So we're going to see how this this plays out, and I'm yep. really looking forward to it. I just, some of it is childish. I, I, I understand that. But I think that, you know, there's validity to it where a lot of these guys, namely Rory McIlroy, kind of felt abandoned because it happened so quickly. And then a lot of these guys that jump ship for the LIV, for the Live Tour, just turn around and start slamming the PGA Tour, almost forgetting where they came from. Well, I mean, we you knew this was going to happen because that's just the nature of the, of the, of the, you know, the, the, they're professionals. They're leaving this. They're going to bash where they came from. They were mistreated. We weren't getting enough money. You know, we knew this was going to go on. But you know what? It's going to be great to see this first major here. And, it, and it's going to be a great tournament. You know, nobody can predict what's going to happen. We've tried. It's very tough. But uh, I'm definitely looking forward to Thursday through Sunday like we all are. Hey, listen, let me ask you this, too, because this week is a – and the Valero is a great tournament to watch. I was actually fortunate enough to play out there two years ago. It's a beautiful property with the two courses. The folks who run it out there are, are mine. Just, just salt-of-the-earth people. You know, you, you play – Joe, you, you play 18 holes by yourself. You're done in two and a half hours. I mean, that's a, that's a dream. <laughs> that's what we all look to achieve on the golf course. But let me ask you this. With a tune-up like this for the guys that are playing, um, in your opinion, now they're fresh. Liv's got their final tournament this week, the 54-holer, um, the, the um, as their final tune-up going into Augusta. You think the Liv guys can go out there and be competitive next week at Augusta, namely the Mickelsons and the DJs of the world? Oh, there is no doubt in my mind, especially the guys like you had just mentioned who have obviously played this golf course 100 times. And we've seen at Augusta, I say this, you know, we see a lot of repeat winners there. Jack won six times, Arnold Palmer numerous times. You know, we've seen it. It just had Tiger, you know, five times. So, you know, 
I, I think that they could still go out there and they're going to play great golf and be in the mix. There's no doubt about it. This is a different golf course. It's not the U.S. Open, the pin, you know, the traditional pin placements on Sunday. You know, they know every inch of the property there. So you're going to see good scores and you're going to see the top guys, I feel, rise on Sunday at the Masters. You got to pick this early or are you still you still marinating? You know what? I'm not going to give a pick because let's. I would just be reaching. But here's what I will say, and I'm going to stick to this. I think it's going to be someone who's won already. How's that? One at Augusta or one on tour? No, 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 no. One at Augusta. There's okay. Be a repeat champion. At, that's somebody that's won. That's my own personal opinion. And again, we'll see what goes on next week. Interesting. Uh Moving over, I wanted I wanted to get your. I'm glad you called into, and that's what one of the reasons I wanted to start with golf is because I know it's been uh, such a hot button issue moving into with this being the first tournament that we'll see the live and the PGA Tour uh, sides collide here. Um, but the biggie this weekend, outside of golf, is obviously the Final Four, and and I and I think it's interesting, but this is a good transition. Um, here on the show because this is exactly the direction I wanted to go. With all of the moments that we had this year in the tournament, I think it, it, it's it's almost just perfectly fitting to have this type of Final Four where, okay, UConn, I, they're a four seed. Some people might actually need to be reminded that early in the, basically midway through the season, UConn was the number one team in the country. Miami was hammering people in the ACC early on. You don't see too much of San Diego State and Florida Atlantic, but you might see now in the Final Four, maybe these guys were a little underseeded. One of San Diego State or Florida Atlantic is going to play for a national championship, and that's awesome. Wow. You know, Peter, I've been following this basketball tournament since the late 70s, and I cannot remember... I mean, I mean, obviously, we have three schools that have never been in the Final Four. And I have to be honest, as a college, I did not know San Diego State had a program. How is that? I don't think Pre- I've ever... Pretty good football program, too. Yeah, right, right. The Aztecs, right, correct. Uh, did Marshall Falk go there? Why is that? Did he go to San Diego State? I could be right. But I don't know. Anyway, back to the basketball. Listen, I am pumped up for tonight. I don't know who's going to come out here. I mean, I think the whole world's rooting for Florida Atlantic a little bit. As a nine seed, they'd be the highest seed to, to win the tournament. So that's kind of, I'm kind of liking that a little bit. And the other game's got to be great. UConn and Miami's just got to be a great showdown. You know, I'm really looking forward to it. Well, hey, listen, enjoy the games. Yeah, uh, Marshall Falk was a San Diego State guy. Um, so y- you know he's sitting on the edge of his seat um, at, at so many, I mean, this has been just a storybook run for them uh, and it, and it really should be something, but uh, Joseph, enjoy the final four, enjoy the Valero. We'll, we'll, we'll talk in a couple of weeks. Cause again, next week I'll be away, but man, I I'm sure we'll be texting back and forth when the masters hits brother. Oh, you got it, Peter. Absolutely. Then when we come back in two weeks, we'll all be set for the hockey playoffs. Rain, oh, big time. The focus. I'm all fired up. All right, man. Enjoy the weekend, Peter. Thanks, dude. That's our buddy Joe Jett, uh, regular here on Sports Today with Peter J. A uh, little insight on Augusta and uh, a little preview of the Final Four. And our other buddy, who 
has become a regular as well. Vinny is uh, on the line. Vin, what's up, pal? How are you? Good, Pete. How are you? Good, man. I, I'm I'm pumped for the Final Four tonight. But now I know it's a week away. Now I put some Masters talk in there. Now I kind of just want to fast forward life and get to Thursday. Yeah, uh, I want to be a fly on the wall in that champion's dinner. That's all oh, I want to know. Is I mean, is that going to be something? Is that to, oh, to, to sit there and you I got mean, Sergio, Phil? Forget about food and drink. In, yeah, forget about that. that. Gonna, I mean, some of the dirty looks that are just going to be thrown would be wow, just just spinal. <laughs> I wish I wish they could videotape that. I uh, I think this Scotty Scheffler, he's going to be so tough to beat. He is such a good player. He is he 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 is so tough, and when he gets a lead, he he just looks at him in the rearview mirror. He's a tough player, but I got one wild card. I think the kid Zalatoris is ready to win. I'm right with you. That kid pures his irons. If his putting, it's all about his putting. If this kid could putt, sort of like myself, he'd win. <laughs> well, he, <laughs> think think about what and and that's such a great point that you make about Zalatoris because. Guys who, who've you've got the reliable short games, a Zalatoris, a Patrick Cantley is another one who I don't think can be totally dismissed in this. Home of the way he's played well, it's really been led by his short game. But like when you go to the U.S. Open, you've, if you're going to be successful, because it's the most difficult co- type of course to play during a major, you've got to hit the fairway. At Augusta, you've got to be good around the greens. And there's spots, Vin, where you know watching this as a longtime golf fan – Certain areas you can't go long. On the par three, number 12, you've got to make sure you're center of the green or deeper because if you're short, it's rolling off and it's going in the water. I think the guys who have the good short games, historically at Augusta, I mean, a lot of people don't like Spieth, but he's someone that you put in that conversation. Tiger, obviously, over the years. Phil, I don't like. if you've got the good short game, you can be successful at Augusta. You don't necessarily have to be lethal off the tee. You can't spray it around. But you can get no. yourself out of jail. It comes down to the short game at Augusta. Zalatoris, Vinny, I am right there with you. Yeah, he, he just he's the best iron player. He hits unbelievable iron. His iron play is, is ridiculous. You know, and you gotta hit good irons there. You gotta be in the right spot. But I, I I'm not a fan of speed. I just I, I can't watch him play. I can't watch his pre shot routine. It drives me crazy. I, I just uh to me he's a choker. I don't I, I can't watch him play. Well, I mean, a lot of people share that sentiment there as well. Um, but, you know, another major draw to this week, I mean, it's storylines galore, right? You've got yeah, first right major on. of the year. You've got Augusta. We're going to see some of the changes they made aesthetically to the golf course, uh, specifically as it relates to the greens. You've got the combination of the live guys now playing in the majors, so we'll see them sprinkled back in with their old running mates on the PGA Tour for the first time. and then. Tiger Woods. Yeah, you got Tiger. You didn't even at, speak about. You didn't even speak about him. It's you never know what he could do there. You never I, I know. Just, and and again, even when he, you know, when he when he started making his comeback after the 2009 season, after the injuries, after all the personal attacks, finishing fourth and fifth at Augusta, a place that he traditionally does play well. Now it's going to come down to. I mean, you, everybody who's watches golf sees some of the, the the hills and the undulations that Augusta does present, how's that knee going to hold up? I mean, that is, it's not just a surgically repaired knee. It's a, basically a brand new body part that the guy's got. Um, no, the leg is, his leg was, his leg was, his leg was crushed. Unreal. A, there was a picture of it on YouTube. Yeah. 
I'm not on YouTube. It was a picture on the web somewhere. I mean, his leg was completely crushed. Like, it was mangled. It's amazing the guy could still walk. Absolutely and, and, amazing. And historically, with his short game, he's very hard on himself with his putting. But Tiger Woods, I mean, cut plus is a bonus here for him just because he hasn't played competitive golf. He's, I mean, he's still in great shape physically when you look at him, but he's older. I, the, yeah. the talent on the tour and with the live guys coming back is probably as good as it's ever been. Um, there's so many, there's so many live guys. You got the Shambo. You got a guy like Louis Ousaez, and this guy is in the, this guy is in the mix in every major. Yes, that is. guy, yeah. he's willing to break through. You got the Shambo. You got Ousaez, and you got uh, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, Sergio could win here. There's, there's so many guys. Talk about Kepka. Everybody forgets about him yeah. too. Paul Casey. Yeah. Yeah, Paul Casey, there's so many guys. And Cam Smith, too. What about him also? Yeah. Hey, do, you have, do, you, do you have a pick? Yeah. I'm picking Zalatoris. Outright. Outright. Okay. He's going to win. Hey. I think I think Ustazen will be in the mix all weekend long. Okay. You know, John Rahm, I don't think he's going to do anything. His he, he seems to be getting back to that that bad frame of mind. He gets one bad shot. He just too he gets too hot on the golf course. He lets his emotions get the best of him. I he I don't think he's going to do anything this week. Well, it, listen, it's going to be it's going to be interesting as the follow up to this week with the final tune ups on both tours, the Live and the PGA Tour, leading into they got the par three contest on Wednesday and then yeah. the tee off. They'll take us out on number one Thursday at Augusta. It's going to be a hell of a four days, and this is going to be. A tournament like we've never seen before, most, just because of all the storylines. Most anticipated Masters in a oh, long time. This is unbelievable. This is Vinny, listen, wait. I appreciate the phone call, brother. Take it easy, Pete. I'll talk to you soon. You got it, dude. Um, all right. Yeah, I mean, this is this is going to be great stuff uh, at Augusta, and it's and it's and it's perfect that this is the the first major of the year that follows the NCAA tournament on the women's and the men's side. So the lead up to this is perfect with baseball underway, the NBA and the NHL regular seasons wrapping up. I mean, this is perfect. This is a great time to be a sports. There's something to watch every day, every night now, which is unbelievable. But getting back to the men's side of the final four, UConn, Miami, San Diego State, Florida Atlantic. UConn's path to the final four has been as impressive as you've seen, maybe ever, in the NCAA tournament. They are just steamrolling people. And what they did to Gonzaga last week was nothing short of impressive. And it was shocking. Not that UConn won the game. Again, I'll say it again. They were the number one team in the country at one point in the season. Probably an underseeded four, but they went through a bad stretch. I mean, look at a team like Creighton. A six seed. They're not a traditional six seed. Minutes away from going to the final four themselves. Creighton, probably the best all around starting five in college basketball this season. So this UConn team, as a four seed, scared the death out of you when the tournament started. And now here they are. Miami, a five seed. Not too much respect coming out of the ACC this year. So that had a lot to do 
with the seeding of Miami being a five, but here they are. They'll play UConn tonight. Winner goes to the title game. This San Diego State FAU game could very well be the game of the tournament. I had seen San Diego State at times during the season on the CBS Sports Network or the late game on ESPN2. Florida Atlantic, I hadn't seen too much of. As a Notre Dame fan, I started paying attention to Florida Atlantic right around the time Mike Bray said he was stepping away, excuse me, from the Notre Dame men's program and they were going to go in a different direction. Dusty May, the FAU head coach, was thrown into the mix as a possible candidate for the ND job. Okay, let me watch a couple of these games. 30-plus win season against three losses, and they've been steady Eddie right from the jump, starting with Memphis and then right down to it, to getting through the Elite Eight against a really good Kansas State team. And think about some of the biggest moments and best stories of this tournament through the Elite Eight. What team did you have, outside of maybe the teams in the Final Four, depending on what side of the line you're standing on, did anybody have any more fun watching any team other than Kansas State? I mean, just the energy they brought night in and night out, a play or two away late, some boneheaded decision-making late in the Elite Eight, which cost them maybe in overtime or getting to the Final Four. But the kid Marquise Noel watched plenty of him in his high school days at Bishop Lachlan, covered a lot of those games. And his teammate, Masood from Cardinal Hayes, covered a lot of their games when they were in high school. That was fun. I mean, Marquise Noel, to set the single-game NCAA tournament assist record on on the grandest of stages, that's awesome stuff. But you've got this FAU team going up against the San Diego State team. So one of San Diego State or Florida Atlantic is going to go to the national championship game. That's awesome. That's what this is all about. And all four of these teams are extremely well coached. Danny Hurley's done an unbelievable job at UConn. Unbelievable job. San Diego State, Florida Atlantic coming out of competitive conferences. Not overly well-known conferences to the masses because of when and where they play. They're not getting the national spotlight before now. Jimmy Laranega with Miami. Now all eyes are on these four teams. Personally, I like UConn to slip past Miami. I don't think this is going to be the type of game where as good as Sonogo's been playing for UConn, because of the balance that Miami brings led by Isaiah Wong, where UConn's going to go in there and win this game by 15, 20, 30 points like they have been. That's not a knock against UConn. That's just how balanced, well-coached, and athletic this Miami team is. I like UConn to win, but I don't think it's going to be a hammer job. On the flip side of that with the SDSU-FAU game, this was a toughie. There's a lot of relatability between the two teams. Good guard play. Good coaching doesn't even need to be said because you get down to this point, all four of these coaches are doing the right things. And the emotion that both of these teams have brought. And I love the aspect where, yeah, it's great to be in the limelight 
it's great to get the headlines. Let's don't forget these are kids, right? Student athletes. But the business as usual approach for San Diego State and FAU has been refreshing. You can enjoy it, but you've got a job to do. In that, San Diego State, a slight favorite. I'm going the other way. I like FAU. I think they're plus two and a half, last I checked. So give me UConn and Florida Atlantic in the final. Monday night, 9 9 p.m. on the East Coast start on CBS. Ridiculous. No reason that that game can't, can't tip at seven on the East. No reason at all. It's even 6.30. It's absurd. So UConn, Florida, Atlantic final, it's hard for me not to pick UConn to be the national champion. On the women's side, if you've been following that tournament, Sunday, April 2nd, 3.30 East, LSU, Iowa. I got to go with the fighting Caitlin Clarks and Iowa. So give me UConn to win the men's tournament. Give me Iowa to win the women's tournament. Because everybody in the freaking world thought South Carolina was just going to steamroll people out of the women's bracket because they had lost. Then Caitlin Clark drops 41 in the final four. And you've got South Carolina out, Iowa in, LSU in. UConn men's title, Iowa women's title. I mean, this has been an, a, an unbelievable basketball season on both sides. And I can't wait to see how the ending scripts itself out. If you're a basketball fan, this is what it's all about. This is what you look forward to. Outside of that, uh, just the coaching carousel, everybody knows Mike Bray out in South Bend. Micah Shrewsbury got that job a couple of weeks ago, seven-year deal uh, after taking Penn State, the 23-14 and 14 record. Um, he's an offensive coach, and I, that's what Notre Dame kind of needs here. It's hard to recruit bigs. But Micah Shrewsbury is a a Midwest guy. So you're going to go out there and get a guy who's got an acumen for being able to recruit the Midwest, being able to go around the country, relate to the kids he's recruiting. Micah Shrewsbury from Penn State can do that. He's previously coached with Brad Stevens and Matt Painter. It makes a lot of sense for Notre Dame. Mike Bray was rumored to be involved in potentially getting the South Florida job. But now it looks like Mike Bray is going to just explore the world of television, which, by the way, if you've seen Mike Bray, you know this man's going to be great on TV. Georgia Tech made a great move a couple weeks ago, bringing in Damon Stoudemire to head the men's basketball program. And Ed Cooley, you all know, is now leaving Providence to replace Patrick Ewing at Georgetown. That's a biggie for Georgetown. They've become a doormat, giving away free tickets at Georgetown games, unheard of. Cooley's going to do a hell of a job there. At Georgetown. And you'll see some of the other developments across the country the next few weeks. Guys start getting, it's happening already. Guys start getting poached to fill jobs that are open or get promotions based on this. How much longer is Dusty May going to be at Florida Atlantic? Jimmy Laranega and Danny Hurley have solidified themselves. And by the way, Danny Hurley's run to the Final Four with UConn started his first college job, Wagner College in Staten Island. So pretty cool stuff there for the New York contingency who listens to the show. The storylines are unending. This Final Four 
is going to be amazing because the tournament has been. Now, I know Jimmy Laranega uh, ruffled some feathers the other night saying he'd like to see the tournament expanded to 96 teams. Let's pump the brakes. Went from 64 from the original 32 to 68. Let's live there for a little bit. You want to talk about expansion? We're expanding college football playoff. That's good. Let's take a little little 30-second T.O. there, Jimmy, before we expand to 96 teams. But with that being said, tonight's games, for those listening live, Saturday, April 1st, Final Four, appetizing matchups, and just four really deserving teams who have earned every ounce of credit and advancement all by their play and dedication. It's been awesome. Really, really excited about tonight. Anthony, the sign there says, Vulpening Day. What do you make of all this? It's just a dream come true for me. The whole process of it and to share it with the guys in the clubhouse and how they've taken me in um, on so many levels, it's a dream come true. You've been in these stands so many times, so to hear the ovation when you were announced, my gosh, what went through your body at that point? I had a lot of... It's hard to even really put into words, but to be welcomed into a family and a stadium that I've been, I've been in the stands watching, so I've given a lot of ovations to a lot of players that even I played with, but um, it, it's, it's incredible. Got a Jersey kid as the starting shortstop for the New York Yankees. I mean, the headlines write themselves. This kid, Anthony Volpe, has done and said everything correct. And I wasn't overly confident. As a Yankee fan, and as a diehard baseball fan, that the Yankees weren't going to screw this up during the spring and not call this kid up. So thankfully, they proved me wrong. Because you've got a kid who who can command the position defensively. He's got a good eye at the plate, not afraid to take walks, gets on base, and he runs. He can steal bases, and that's huge on a Yankee team that needs that. Played his high school ball, Del Barton. I mean, this is good stuff. And I'm driving in my, my truck the other, other day, listening to Yankees opening day. John Sterling makes a really, really good point at the top of the broadcast, talking about the excitement around Anthony Volpe, and I agree with it. And it made a lot of sense because I, you know, I, I, I was one of the people John was referencing when he said this. Yankee fans were kind of unsure about Derek Jeter because there wasn't all of that element of known, right? It was the element of the unknown with Jeter. Social media wasn't such a big thing back then. You didn't have access to all the minor league highlights or the press clippings necessarily. Radio broadcasts of minor league games. Coverage on TV like it is today with the minor league websites and the minor league networks. It just wasn't a thing. Yankee fans were kind of unsure about Derek Jeter until they were. 1996 comes up, full-timer, boom. World Series eventually becomes the captain. The rest is history. Same deal with Aaron Judge. Comes up as a 26-year-old. You heard about him. You knew he was, was, was a hulking man. And you see how big he is and how strong he is. But the excitement was nowhere near comparable to that of Anthony Volpe. Who was also being touted along with Oswald Peraza with the Yankees. So good young talent down in the system for the Yankees who are now going to impact 
the Major League Club. Peraza did it last year in the postseason. But bringing Volpe up, yes, it ignites the fan base, and that's great. Yankee fans aren't going anywhere. Yankee fans are some of the most pain-in-the-ass sports fans, and I'm one of them, in all of sports. But they love their team. They're passionate about their team. And on the whole, Yankee fans know what they're talking about. They've seen a lot of good baseball. As the team goes for World Series championship number 28 this season. Anthony Volpe, the next Yankee great. I, I think that would be a little absurd to start saying things like that. But getting the infusion of youth across the diamond is something the Yankees needed to do. And you saw a blip of it last year with Peraza, and now you're seeing it more widespread with Volpe. Cabrera in the outfield. That's a big deal as a starting left fielder. Transitioning Connor Falefa into pretty much a utility role. That process started in early March. Yankees got banged up in the, in the starting rotation. Luis Severino is going to be out for a bit as he can, recovers from a lat injury. One of their top pitching prospects, Johnny Brito, is expected to serve as a fill-in fifth starter. Clark Schmidt's going to pitch game two today for the Yankees. Another youngster who they love, who they relied on last season in the, in the playoffs, who pitched well for the most part when the team wasn't hitting. So finally getting to the point where the Yankees have identified that they have good young talent, let's start using it. It's about time. Because I don't think, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back and, and, and analyze quickly the season the Yankees had just last year. And that epic start that they had, whatever they were, 21 and 5, 10 games, 15, 20, 25, 30 games over 500. Then they hit a lull. They pretty much played 500 ball after the All-Star break. Slightly below, I believe. And the problems that existed there going into the offseason, because why didn't the Yankees win a World Series championship last year? Pitching was certainly not the problem. It was the offense. And you've got all that pop in the lineup. Who struggled after a 62 home run campaign? Aaron Judge. Josh Donaldson didn't hit. Anthony Rizzo didn't hit. Aaron Hicks. It's not even worth mentioning. Stanton wasn't hitting. Trevino wasn't hitting. LeMayhew wasn't hitting. Torres wasn't hitting. Collectively. Each of them had their moments. But overwhelmingly as a team, it was the Yankee offense that booted them in a sweep at the hands of the Astros. So your fear going into the offseason was that things would not change. And it was scary when the manager of the Yankees, Aaron Boone, comes out and anoints Aaron Hicks as a starting left fielder and just says, because he's a veteran, basically, that Josh Donaldson will have a bounce back year. Just basing it on that alone, to me, was absurd. But there's Donaldson starting at third, batting fifth. But to bring up Anthony Volpe and insert him into the starting shortstop role, using guys like Brito, Schmidt. Eventually, we'll see Peraza. I know he didn't have a great spring. He hit just 190 across 15 games uh, in the infield. 
You'll see him again. Cabrera in the outfield. The Yankees' willingness to do that might lend itself to the fan base now thinking, hey, maybe we don't have to go through these lulls. Maybe we're finally going to use this young talent that we've heard all about, and they're going to be part of the reason why this team gets back to winning championships. Garrett Cole looked great on opening day. The injury to Rodon, Severino, Tommy Canely, Frankie Montas, all stink. But because you have this influx of reliability in the youth department, I think there's a confidence level that you can stay more than head above water that maybe didn't exist last year that you have now. And I think that's a I think that's fair to say. I do. I think this is a good Yankee team. I am worrisome about what's happening at third base with Donaldson. I know there was some experimentation. Peraza, Volpe, uh, trying out at third, amongst others. Look, it's the fear of the contract and what Donaldson's making in the veteranship there. But the Yankees can't go through an entire stretch with him again being a, a black hole offensively. It just can't happen. Now, his defense was great last year until it wasn't. Late in the season and in the postseason, Josh Donaldson was not a cornerstone defensively for the Yankees. He was the opposite. And when you're not producing at the plate, it's problematic. And man, he looked lost in that Houston series with that bat in his hands. As good as that Houston staff was last year and the bullpen, no excuse for some of that. And Donaldson was a big part of the problem. I hope like hell as a Yankee fan that it changes. Optimism, minimal. Very excited about Volpe. And Judge smacking one over the fence on opening day, just picking up where he left off. He's the captain now, right? Got the monster deal. Flirted with the, maybe the Giants were going to swoon him in the offseason. He was never not going to be a Yankee. So you've got some reliability there. Nobody's a bigger John Carlos Stanton fan than I am. Anthony Rizzo, if he can keep it together at the plate, he's going to give you 20-plus, maybe 25-plus home runs. Glaber Torres, I know he gets flack, but there's reliability there. I think it's a good team. Trevino, Bader when he's healthy. And that's a biggie, too, in that outfield. Not having your everyday starting center fielder to have Aaron Judge out there in center instead of right. So Bader coming back is going to be big as well. I know these are minimal injuries. They are cause for concern. The timelines on them are not huge. But the season has begun. So now it's all about winning games. And they'll have to find a way to do that. Game two today against the Giants in the Bronx. Again, Clark Schmidt gets to start for the Yankees as they look to go two for their first two um, this season. Look, the Mets, Justin Verlander, it, that wasn't great news. That And it came at the worst possible time to learn that your prized offseason acquisition, the veteran, future Hall of Famer, is going to be placed on the 15-day disabled list uh, with a low-grade strain. Not great. You know, this coming out of where we saw across Major League Baseball, really, with some of the injuries coming out of the World Baseball Classic and the controversy surrounding about that, Max Scherzer was very outspoken of it. And that was something that hit the Mets as well. Edwin Diaz hurt in a celebration, gone for the season. Justin Verlander now on the 15-day L separate injury. But the Mets are dealing with a lot here. Imbalanced lineup. Get off to a nice start. 
with the opening day victory. And then they dropped the second game last night. Jazz Chisholm uh, hit a late home run uh, for Miami to even that opening series uh, down in South Beach. I, I, I seem to be following a trend here on social media where Mad fans have taken a turn to negative town already. And it's understandable. And conversely, with that in mind, I, I was kind of pleased to see that Yankee fans overwhelmingly in the world of social media, which could be deadly, the Yankee fans have not done that. With a lot of injuries, Radon, Canely, Bader, Montas. Most of the season self-admittedly last year after he came to the Yankees, banged up. Taken into account, maybe he wasn't as bad as we thought. But it's still an injury. He's still not pitching. I think the Yanks will recover. I think the Mets are going to be fine. I know the offense right now doesn't excite you. Alonzo and Lindor are going to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting. That's why they're here. And you talk about an influx of youngsters. The Mets have that too. You know, I thought the other night David Peterson looked pretty good. Eight hits over five innings. Commanding that strike zone in the one run. You take that and run with it. In the absence of some of the big name uh, pitchers. Fine with that. We'll see Carrasco Monday make his season debut for the Mets. No problem with him in this rotation either. Scherzer opening day? Eh. He's going to be fine. He's one of the best ever. Guy's going to be perfectly fine. As I think this Mets team will be as well. Now, it's a good division, especially with Atlanta and Philadelphia. And I think it's a Miami team that is better than they're given credit for. Washington is awful. But once the season gets rolling, you pay attention to this Verlander injury on the 15-day DL. You don't want it to extend from there. But I think you're okay here. Because Nimmo at the top, Marte, Lindor, Alonzo, McNeil. That's a pretty good top five in your batting order. And that's basically what the Mets are going to roll out most games. Canna had a nice season last year. Vogelbach was the lead DH last night. Escobar at third. I know a lot of Mets fans wanted to see Beatty. You will, just not now. And then Narve is behind the plate. They want Alvarez. You will, just not now. And Alvarez is going to be the biggie because this is a Mets lineup that outside of really Lindor and Alonzo doesn't feature a lot of pop. Escobar hit 20 last year. I get it. He's not known as being a stallion sending balls over the fence. Now, I know they brought them in a little bit at City Field. But this is a team that could use more pop. They'll get it. If you don't have, if you're a Met fan who right now, again, I'll use the phrase, took that turn to negative town, and you don't have confidence that this lineup can do the job, they're going to manipulate it via trade, or calling up the youngsters. Steve Cohen's going to do whatever it takes to make sure this team wins. Especially with the disappointment to ending the season last year in the first round against the Padres. 
I see no reason why the Mets can't win games now just relying on the top five in their order. Even if you had to manipulate it a little bit with a Nimmo, Marte, Lindor, Alonzo McNeil. I, you could do worse. A hell of a lot worse. Right now, the rotation stands out as Scherzer, Peterson, Senga, and Carrasco. Verlander goes to the 15-day DL. That sucks. But they'll bounce back. Handle it immediately, and these problems disappear. You don't want any more of these problematic injuries, especially after what happened at the WBC. Altuve, gone for two months. Diaz, gone for the season. Right, Philly, separate issue from the World Baseball Classic, but Reese Hoskins out for the year. So the injuries have popped up. And it's been problematic. So the Mets and Yankees dealing with their own. Head above water, you can navigate this. And just before, I, I, I wanted to make sure I made a point of this, especially in, in, in this day and age. Before I get into my MLB over-unders, I'm going to go through all 30 teams and give you what I have and, and what I've laid uh, my bets on. Some of you might have heard uh, Eric Nadel, the longtime voice of the Texas Rangers, is going to be out which is now the beginning of the 2023 Major League Baseball season. The reason for that is very open about it, to treat anxiety, depression, and insomnia. That's a tough decision to make. And he's been very open about it, which is courageous in itself. Because I can tell you this, as an everyday school teacher, not an easy job, but one that I love and I take pride in doing. One of the most important aspects of being able to be a successful educator and a responsible adult around other people is to take care of your mental health. This guy's doing it. Right? There's plenty of people around the world that say they give a damn about mental health when in fact they really could give a shit less. And that becomes problematic. So now you have someone who's in the public light, the voice of a Texas Ranger team, who's going to be improved this year, came out and said, I'm taking off the beginning of the season because I've got to treat anxiety, depression, and insomnia. I mean, if there were more people that had to help and could and, and felt comfortable to be more open about those things, wouldn't society as a whole be better? And this directly relates to the world of sports. It is not an easy job being a play-by-play announcer for any sports team, college or pro, on a full-time basis. Especially when you have families. You're on the road. You're taking notes. You've got to do interviews. And even when you have your home games, how much do you see your family? The physical toll that the players go through? No. But there is a mental and emotional toll that it takes to travel around with a team. you got to take time for yourself sometimes. Anxiety, we've all dealt with it. Anxiety, when it's not treated, can become depression. That's a problem. And you all know what insomnia is. So my hat off to to Eric Nadel, the the longtime voice of the Texas Rangers, for addressing this now. There's always additional outlets. Somebody might not like therapy or whatever, where you can handle things like this and be open about the treatment. And this man is doing it and would be wonderful if people could take his messaging 
and how he's going about taking care of his own mental health in order to see that you can take care of your own as well. All right. So with that in mind, season underway, MLB over-unders, always hot bets um, into the season. We'll play a little uh, Edwin Diaz team music here. This was not easy to do this year. Because the litany of talented ball players coming to the biggest of all division was starting the FBALE. Overwhelmingly, no doubt, best division in all of baseball. Yankees set at 94.5, Toronto 90.5, Tampa 89.5, Boston 78.5, and, and Baltimore 76.5. I think all five go over. Toronto's loaded. Toronto's loaded offensively, and their pitching is great. Matter of fact, I, I think they'll win the AL East. Yankees make the playoffs, but I think Toronto wins. So if I got the Yankees going over 94 and a half, and Toronto winning the division, whoa. Boston's better. Baltimore shocked a lot of people last year, but they've got good young talent. And you can't. Tampa Bay going over 89 games. I mean. Isn't that almost as close of a lock as there would be? So give me the overs there. Central, Cleveland, 86 and a half. I'll go over. Minnesota, 84 and a half. I'm going to go under there. I'm not overwhelmingly into this Minnesota team. Chicago, the White Sox. Pitching, you know, Hendricks, the closer out. Um, obviously for concernable reasons, battling cancer. At 83 and a half, I'll take the under there. Detroit at 68 and a half. They're a bad baseball team. Detroit and Kansas City. Detroit, I'm going to go under. KC, 68 and a half. I'll go over. Go out west. Houston, 97 and a half. Seattle, 86 and a half. Texas, 81 and a half. Angels, 81 and a half. Oakland, 59 and a half. I'll go Houston under. They win the division, but the reason I'm saying that is because Seattle, Texas, and the Angels I have going over. Seattle riding the wave in the talent from last year. Texas rebuilt. Bochi, DeGrom. They're doing all the right things out there. And the Angels. I know we've all done it before with this team. I know we've all done it. 81 and a half. Too appetizing. I'm doing it. Oakland's terrible. 59 and a half. I'll go over there just because I don't think they could be that bad. But offensively, Loriano is basically what they're relying on. There's just not much. But Oakland has surprised in the past, and at 59 and a half, I'll go over. NL East was a toughie. Atlanta 96 and a half. Mets 94 and a half. Philly 89 and a half. I'm going over there. Miami 75 and a half. Washington 59 and a half. Miami, I'm going over. Washington, under. Atlanta and the Mets, I will go under as well. Man, these are all good teams. St. Louis out of the Central, 88.5. Milwaukee, 86.5. The St. Louis offense, you can get on board with. The pitching, I think, is, is a tad alarming. At 88.5 with St. Louis, I'll go under. Milwaukee at 86.5, I like the over. Cubs at 76.5, I might sit right there. I'm going to go under, but it's going to be close. Pittsburgh, 
bad baseball team. They might get slightly over, but I'm going to go under. Cincinnati at 65 and a half. Players like Jonathan India, they've straightened out their pitching with good young talent. I think Cincinnati, matter of fact, when I filled out my over-under pool, Cincinnati was my best bet. I know they were terrible last year, but that came down to basically a 3-22 and start. So I like Cincinnati to go over that number. I'm fairly confident uh, that that'll happen. And then out west, you've got the Dodgers at 96.5, San Diego at 93.5, San Francisco at 81.5. I don't know where their wins are going to come from. Arizona's rebuilding at 74.5 and Colorado 65.5. Give me Colorado over, Arizona over, San Francisco under. I think San Diego goes over, and I think the Dodgers are going to live right in that 95-96 area. So I'll go out on a limb and I'll take the under there. I know they're loaded. That is why the MLB over-unders are one of the more difficult things to do uh, in sports. Teams surprise you. I don't think Cincinnati's going to come out to a 3-22 and start again. I don't think the A's are going to be a complete dumpster fire. The Nationals stink. But there are some teams that will surprise you, which makes uh, the over-under game a little more tricky than some others, right? Than just picking outright winners like you would in the Final Four. Again, if those are just tuning in, thank you. On Saturday, the 1st of April, 2023 Sports Today with Peter J. I'm your host, Peter J. Mulroy. Thanks again. Listen, downloading and listenership during the week has gone up. Could not have done this without your support. Uh, Samsung, Spotify, iHeart, and of course on Podbean and Podbean Live. You can subscribe through all of those outlets at any time uh, and stay abreast with what's happening via social media as well. So MLB season underway. Fairly good starts for the Yanks and the Mets. Mets one and one through two. Yanks game two this afternoon. Clark Schmidt on the hill for the Yankees uh, in the Bronx. Overcast. Rain in the forecast today. I don't think it'll be too much of an issue with the Yanks getting it in, but we, we, in the Northeast section of the country, or we are supposed to get hit uh, with a decent amount of rain. So we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that as the Yankees get ready for game two against the San Francisco Giants. Randall, though, holding that left ankle like he might have turned it. He has not missed the game all season. Right, he came down on the foot of Bam. Turned that ankle. That's a very prevalent injury today in the NBA. Players tape their ankles to try to mitigate the, the injury problem, but see the pain on his face. He's in agony right now. And he was in agony the other night, Julius Randle. Uh, he's going to have a sprained left ankle reevaluated in two weeks. Knicks got five games remaining, four after last night's victory over Cleveland. Uh, and you would expect that Julius Randle's going to miss at least the start of the postseason. I know we've I've been difficult on Julius Randle, specifically late in games, as the lead guy. I, I do think that that opinion of mine is warranted because there's been some boneheaded uh, plays late. But it cannot be dismissed that he's the Knicks' leading scorer at over 25 points a game. And he started all 77 games this season. I know the attitude issues going at his teammates have rubbed many in the media and in, within the franchise the wrong way. I get that. But we will now see what this team looks like. And it's a big, big, full-time, go-mode opportunity now for Obi Toppin. And you saw Toppin get into it last night. 
the motivation he has to be successful. Look, first round of the NBA playoffs are set to begin Saturday, April 15th. That's two weeks from today for those listening live. So the Knicks at 45 and 33 right now, fifth in the East. That's great. Maybe get lucky and, and, and get hot down the stretch. Perhaps move up a spot. Devastating injury with Julius Randle? Not if Toppin can cover it. We saw quickly have his moments when Jalen Brunson was out. Toppin's a fan favorite. Minimal minutes. Frustrating, yes. But a, a lot of that, most of that, was due to the fact that Julius Randle was playing well again on a rebound campaign from a year ago where he was awful. You know, I think until last night, for those, again, listening live, the Friday night game in Cleveland, the issue with the Knicks had been their defense. Losing the game to Orlando. They're a bad team. Building for the future, yes. In the litany of bad teams in the league, Orlando might be the best of the bad. Minnesota hung 140 on the Knicks a couple nights ago at Madison Square Garden without their big guns. But a couple of impressive wins in a row, Miami-Cleveland for the Knicks, that helps propel this team moving forward. The Julius Randle injury doesn't have to be a devastating one if the Knicks keep their heads out of you-know-where and Toppin can come in and play consistently good basketball. The energy level is going to be there from this kid. And the Garden crowd loves him, including yours truly. And if you're able to get Randall back on a run, the Knicks, folks, again, the Knicks have won one playoff series in the last 23 years. Not one NBA fan, not one Knicks fan is going to give a you-know-what about who's on the floor if the Knicks are winning games in the postseason. Because you look around this league, Milwaukee. I know they got smacked by Boston the other night, 55-22. and 22. Boston, 53 and 24. Look out west. Denver, three-game lead over Memphis and a five-gamer over Sacramento for the top spot in the conference. I mean, Jokic is unbelievable. 25-11 and 11 this year on his stat line. Guys like Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and Aaron Gordon. Supplemental insurance. How good has Philly looked lately? Cleveland, a good team. I know the Knicks took them down, but Cleveland's a good team. And Phoenix now out west with Durant. So however far the Knicks think they can take this, it's going to have to be a team effort. You've got Brunson. You've got the pure point guard you've been looking for for decades. He's here. Mitchell Robinson has played solid basketball, I will say, the last week plus. Barrett's frustrating. That's been the steady theme the entire season. But Quickly's give you good minutes. McBride has played well. Quentin Grimes is a hell of a basketball player. This young man doesn't get enough credit. He's a great rebounder. He's all over the floor. Anytime that ball leaves the hand, his or a teammate, or on the opposite side, he's crashing. And that's what you want. This Knicks team is good. This Randall injury is not. But it doesn't have to be the be-all, end-all of a Knicks season when you're trying to go into the playoffs, which they've done. They're going to go if you're trying to get out of that first round for only the second time in the last 23 years. 
Because this NBA this year, especially in the East, I mean, you look at the breakdown of the NBA playoff picture as today. The play-in starts April 11th. Again, the playoffs will start out of the play-in round April 15th. So here's what it looks like right now. Seeds 7, 8, 9, and 10 play in the play-in round. 7 plays 8, 9 plays 10. Right now, Miami's the 7, Atlanta's the 8. That's an appetizing matchup, basketball-wise. Toronto's the 9. Right now, they would play the 10, Chicago. Milwaukee is tops right now at 55 and 22. Boston is the second seed. Today, Philly is the three seed. They'd play six. Brooklyn, who's hanging tough at 42 and 35. And I give a lot of credit to that Brooklyn team. Play cohesive basketball unit after uh, together, I should say, as one unit after getting rid of the psychos. And Durant and Irving. Because look at look at Dallas right now. That tells you all you need to know about Kyrie Irving. And I don't want to hear that he's great with the basketball and Sanders gets to the basket. This guy is a human freaking tornado. He destroys everything in his path. He's a human F5. Look at Dallas since Kyrie's gone there. Dumpster fire. It pissed off Luka to no end too. Today, you get a rematch of last night. Cleveland 4, Knicks 5. That's your East, and that's a good, good chock full of talent Eastern Conference. On the West side, Denver's the one, Memphis is the two. The Lakers would get New Orleans in the 7-8 play-in, Minnesota, Oklahoma City in the 9-10. Three versus six right now, Sacramento three, Golden State six. Wow. Would that be something? An upstart young Sacramento team? Against the Golden State Warriors, who when they get hot and into the postseason, all they do is win championships. The four and the five. Four right now is Phoenix. Five of the Clippers. That would be a great series as well. So I think right now, if you're a basketball fan looking at this playoff picture, pretty impressive. Be a lot of good activity with four or five games left for many teams in this league. Glaring omission right now, Dallas which means no Luka. And they have just completely crashed since the arrival of Kyrie Irving. And one thing I'll say about this, the top teams, the Bucs, the Celtics, Denver, Memphis, all of these teams are extremely good at home. And that's huge come postseason time. Because that's what you want. If you can play good at home when you get Everybody's best right hook. That's what you want. And the NBA postseason, I I mean, I think it's got the potential to be as good as we've seen the last few seasons. And the Knicks are right in the mix. So again, right, the crux of this segment is the Julius Randle injury devastating to the Knicks' visions of grandiose. No, it doesn't have to be. Now more than ever, it becomes team basketball. You're going to have to get some legitimate run out of Obi Toppin. The Garden faithful have wanted it. Toppin's wanted it. His teammates have wanted it. But Randall was playing so good, it was hard to put another four on the floor with him. Now here's the opportunity. So right, wrong, or indifferent, Nick and basketball fans everywhere are going to learn something. It doesn't have to be the be-all, end-all injury to Julius Randall 
this Knicks team can still win. They can get out of the first round for the second time in 23 years. I think they can, and I think they will. Right now, they're slated to play Cleveland. We will see how all of that unfolds. Make sure to leave a review. This makes our day and fuels future episodes. Sports Today with Peter J. Yeah, anytime, anyplace, leave a review. Subscribe, social media, right here on Podbean. You can do the same on Samsung, iHeartRadio, and of course, Spotify as well. Just about quarter after 12 here, live on Saturday, April 1st, 2023. Final Four Saturday. You had the women's Final Four on Friday night. Caitlin Clark leading Iowa to the title game where they will play LSU. We talked in depth about the men's side. I like UConn to advance. I like Florida Atlantic to advance. And then I think UConn cuts down the nets uh, Monday night in Houston. Just went over the NBA playoff picture. Not all that muddy. A lot of good talent. Same could be said here in the NHL. And if you watched, I mean, the New York Rangers lately have driven, drive you nuts. And let me start there with the Rangers before I talk about the Devils and the Islanders. I wasn't saying what I'm about to say earlier in the season as it pertains to this Ranger team. But here's what I'll say now. Despite the depth and the names on these lines, I don't think this Ranger team is as good as it thinks it is or as many, many believe. Last night against Buffalo, the Rangers might have played the sloppiest, laziest, most lethargic first period they've played all season. Wound up losing the game in overtime. The night uh, night before against the Devils, great game. Back and forth, lose 3-1. to one. They drive you nuts because of the inconsistencies. Team's not the same without Lindgren either. Everybody wants to get down Miller's throat, and I get it. But this team just hasn't been functioning the same way in the absence of Lindgren, which is problematic. Patrick Kane, eh, not overwhelming. Because look at the look at the breakdown of these Rangers lines, which theoretically, right, should be able to cause postseason problems for opponents. Kreider, Zabanajet, Tarasenko, one. Panarin, Trocek, Kane, two. Lafreniere, Hedl, Kako, three. VZ, Goudreau, Mott, four. On paper, that's pretty damn good. Proofs in the pudding hasn't been there. And it wasn't there last night against Buffalo. Now, Buffalo's a good team. And, and one of the things Joe Micheletti said on, during the broadcast on MSG last night really resonated me, with me because he's right. This is a Buffalo team that has no problems offensively. They just do asinine things with the puck in the offensive zones and the defensive zone sometimes, and they don't play any defense. Buffalo had a couple of turnovers last night that were head-scratching, and the Rangers really just weren't a cap- able to capitalize on them. So you've got a team, you're going up against it, you know can score. And they have a propensity for turning the puck over. Rangers not able to cash in. And it's frustrating. Sit there now with 99 points. They're going to the playoffs. And as it stands today, in the East, out of the Atlantic, Boston, Toronto, Tampa Bay, out of that Metro division, Carolina, the Devils, the Rangers. I mean, if you watched the Ranger-Devil game the other night with Jersey, 
getting the W, increasing their lead in the Metro to four points. It was a hard-fought victory over the Rangers, and the speed of the Devils was alarming. And if that's a postseason preview, it was a good 3-1 win for the Devils. That was a great game. It was a great hockey game. If that's a postseason preview, that's great for all of us. Regular season ends April 13th, two weeks, less than two weeks. Tentative start date in the postseason, April 17th. So you've got a lot going on here with six, seven games left for many teams in the regular season, specifically those wild card teams. Right now, Pittsburgh hanging on to the second wild card spot in the East, who's got the first, the Islanders, who have remained relevant in a good back, a bounce back campaign. And with 87 points, they're five clear of the Penguins. So it's looking pretty good for the Islanders, assuming they don't crash and burn. Now, you can't totally dismiss the Panthers, who remain on the heels of, of Pittsburgh. Buffalo in the mix, important victory last night uh, against the Rangers, but I think it's uh, too little too late for that team. But across, specifically up in the Northeast, in the New York metro area, you'd have the Devils, the Rangers, and the Islanders all in the mix. I think you'd hit your wagons right now to the Devils. Islanders, great defensively, great between the pipes. Can they score enough? Rangers to Jekyll and Hyde. It's infuriating. Specifically, if you watched the game last night, you know exactly what I'm talking about in that first period. It was tough to watch. Could have gone out there five on zero. That's how lethargic that first period last night, the first 20 minutes for the Rangers was. But this Devils team, the way they score, the way they speed is eye-popping. And they are going to be a danger to whoever they play. Right now, it looks like it beat the Rangers in the first round. They're going to be very problematic regardless of who they play because our buddy Pat Pickens, who comes on semi-regularly from the AP and game day, the running joke in those NHL media rooms that he's a part of is that the Devils are just always the darlings of the offseason because they make the big splashes and they never come to fruition. This year it did. And with Jack Hughes banged up for big stretches of the season to continue to do it, this Jersey team is legit. And they're going to be a problem come postseason time. Houston Women's Championship will be uh, tomorrow night, Sunday the 2nd, for those listening live. I mean, coupling the fact that baseball has started, what do we leave out to this point that we're going to get to now? Quick NFL free agency news. The Aaron Rodgers and the Jets saga, it's just nonsense. And now you got the Jets linked to Odell Beckham Jr. And I said weeks ago, when I was double backing with my podcast and on the, the call sports radio station, that I would be intrigued by a, re, a reunion with the Giants and Odell Beckham before he got into all his offseason nonsense and then you find out that he wants $20 million a season. Come on. Jets not being able to lock things up with Aaron Rodgers and then floating those ideas around Odell Beckham. You might be in danger of creating a circus here in East Rutherford. And you don't want to miss out because now all of these things with Lamar Jackson requesting a trade, you got to have a backup plan if you're the Jets. 
And Joe Douglas can say whatever he wants. There's no way the Jets are completely dismissive of the fact that Jackson just requested a trade. There's no way. How long can you let Rodgers dangle this in front of your face before you are made a fool of? Conventional wisdom tells us that the Jets might screw this up. And they're not in a position to do that because the roster's not bad. You've got to get the quarterback. I think they'll figure the Rodgers thing out, but the longer it goes, the less confident I am in that. Other side of things with what the Giants have done lately, Amani Oruwari, the, the cornerback who's coming on board, Jamison Crowder gives you a, a, a slot option again. Everything you read with the Giants, who they're interviewing for the uh, this month's draft, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, picking 25th, big-bodied wide receiver, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers with some speed. Giants need a legit one on the outside center guard. They've done a nice job by McCain uh, as, a, as a secondary replacement for Julian Love, who departed for Seattle as a free agent. They're doing all the right things. Pick 25, unless a, a stud falls in your lap, Giants are going receiver, in my opinion. But you're watching this Aaron Rodgers stuff. Now what happens with Lamar Jackson? And what are what's the news? I don't... And, and, get carried away with rumors, legit news, leading into the draft. But I mean, this weekend, your focus is the Final Four, the Valero Texas Open, going into the third round, the final tune-up on the tour, the PGA Tour side, before Augusta right now, Pat Rogers leading, opening rounds of 66-67. I mean, that's golf. That is golf. Corey Connors, three back at minus eight. Michael Thompson, Brendan Todd, Harry Higgs rounding out the top five. They're all at minus seven, along with Roberto Diaz. I'll give you a name to keep an eye on at the Valero with two rounds left. Yeah, Matty Kuchar's up there at minus six. Peter Malnati, 67-72. Right now at, at minus five. Keep your eye on Peter Malnati the next couple of days. Good player. Haven't heard a lot about lately. Consistent off the tee. Gets the short game work, and he can make some noise out there. But again, want to thank everybody once again for tuning in. Uh, great show once again. Locked into the Final Four tonight. You get the Men's Championship Monday, 9 p.m. start on the East Coast. Again, it's a joke. It could at least start at 7. And then you get the Women's Final, LSU, Iowa, Sunday, Palm Sunday, April 2nd, 3.30 tip time on the East Coast. It's going to be great. The final four, again, I like UConn to advance. I like Florida Atlantic to advance. UConn wins it on the men's side. Iowa wins it on the women's side. No show next week. I'm going to be in Aruba. I'll probably come back purple because I'm completely incapable of getting any semblance of a suntan or fully loaded skin cancer. So the show will resume two weeks from today on the 15th. I'll see you folks then. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Subscribe at any time. Sports Today with Peter J. See you folks. Sports Today with Peter J.